Today's episode is brought to you by The Lab Consulting. The Lab was formed by former Amazon category and marketplace leaders who apply their blueprint from working with over 20,000 brands in Amazon to help ambitious brands accelerate their e-commerce growth. Learn more at thelabconsult.com. Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast, the show where I sit down with former Amazon executives to discuss Amazon's unique principles and processes and tease out how you can apply them to grow and manage your business. I'm Tyler Wallace, a seven-year former Amazonian, current brand consultant, and your host as we learn to think like Amazon. Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome Dave Glick to the show. Dave is a former Amazon VP where he spent 20 years building key parts of Amazon's retail and operations technology, including Amazon's original automated pricing system, many of the features in today's warehouse management system, and various transportation systems, including Amazon Flex. Since early 2019, Dave has been the chief technology officer at Flex, a company providing flexible fulfillment rapid replenishment, and inventory overflow to services on demand from many companies and brands. Dave, pleased to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Tyler. Over 20 years, you probably did a lot more than what I shared. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work at Amazon? Yeah, I came out of grad school and I was unemployed living in a friend's basement. And uh, fortunately, Amazon took a chance on me as a junior IT project manager. And I was the low guy on the totem pole. So I was sent to the warehouses to help set up the systems and networks. And Back in 1998, uh, warehousing wasn't cool. Amazon's kind of single-handedly made that cool. So I stuck most of my career at Amazon was in warehousing, but I spent a few years in retail systems, as you mentioned, uh, building the original automated pricing engine. I spent two years in FBA uh, working on global selling. I worked for Diego Piacentini, who was our SVP of international retail and flew around the world with him doing OP1 reviews and driving automated pricing and inventory ordering. But then I came back to the best job I had, which was managing the fulfillment systems and transportation technology, working for Dave Clark. And that was a lot of fun. And we you know, we integrated the Kiva systems, the Kiva robots. We built automated receiving. We improved a bunch of the picking logic and a variety of different things. And then the last job I had was I managed Amazon Tickets, which is a somewhat ill-fated attempt to compete with Ticketmaster. Uh, I did that for about six months. And then we ended up shutting it down, which was a good time for me to retire from Amazon. What's interesting for me is you've worked on everything from these very large businesses to Amazon Tickets, which was more of a startup within Amazon. I imagine that during that time, a lot of opportunity to make tough decisions, especially around launching or expanding those programs. Recently on the show, we spoke about Amazon's writing culture. And one of the pieces that I found helpful to help set the tone for making those decisions was this idea of using tenets and documents. I hear that you are part of the story behind Amazon, including tenants in the start of most business documents. Can you tell us a little bit more about how tenants are used at Amazon? Yeah. One of the things we talked about was our write a lot as a leadership principle. And what we've been trying to do and what, what Amazon has been trying to do for the last 20x years is figure out how we can get and maintain alignment and making sure people are using good judgment and and how do you codify judgment? You know, how do you set up mechanisms to push people to be right a lot? And early days, it was the idea of the two pizza teams and having fitness functions. And the idea behind fitness functions was that 
if you spend a lot of time up front determining in a mathematically rigorous way what the goal and what the mission of the team is, it's very easy to manage it because as long as it's going up and to the right, then you're doing pretty well. And if it's going down, then you're not doing well. And, and that ended up, for a variety of reasons, becoming too complex and we're sort of phased out. But tenets was another way. The idea behind tenets is to set up a set of guiding principles at the beginning of a project that you can use to make great decisions. And so when you're starting a project, you come up with the tenets and you argue about those and you discuss them. And at the end of the discussion, everybody's aligned. And so you don't have to go back and see the senior leadership. You don't have to go back and see Jeff uh, because you know you've decided on what the tenets are. And so that's a super powerful concept that's simple and durable. And you know the story of when we created the first tenets, I was leading pricing at the time. And we were going to see Jeff B every month to try to get alignment. And you know some of the meetings didn't go very well. And you know we got through those and we started to get aligned. And we had a great meeting where we had a discussion. And at the end of the meeting, you know, Jeff laid out five bullet points of this should be our product principles or tenants. And we should put this right at the top of the document. And so the next month I came in and I had those five tenants at the top of the document. And you know, we call it reloading the cache, right? If you think of these senior leaders, they're sitting there reading document after document after document. And so they have to be able to remember what we talked about last time, especially if it's a series. And so this was a shortcut for Jeff or whoever else to be able to reload the cache and remember what we talked about before. And so it became pretty powerful. And every month I would come back and I'd have the tenants at the top of the documents and others would say, oh, no, we don't need those anymore. You can put it in the appendix. And I said, no, we're going to keep the tenants at the top of the document. And after you know, about a year of this, one day Jeff said, I love that this team puts the tenant at the top of the documents. I'm going to make sure everybody does this. And you know, within weeks, every single team had to have tenants. And I got lots of angry calls from my friends saying, oh, you made us do this thing, um, but can you share your tenants with us so we can do a good job of it? So that was kind of fun. Very interesting story there. It brings to mind another Amazon leadership principle, have backbone, disagree and commit. It sounds like you had these meetings where you went through the disagree and commit portion and these tenants served to save time in subsequent meetings because you didn't have to rehash that same decision. You put right at the front of the document, hey, this is what we've already aligned on. These are the trade-offs we decided we're going to make. Now let's move forward with the decision at hand for today. Yeah, disagree and commit is so important. And lots of people do the disagree well and the commit less well. <laughs> um, but you know, at Flex, we came up with our own set of values because we didn't want to be copycatting Amazon. In addition to our values, one of the things that comes up in conversations frequently is this is a place where we need to disagree and commit. So whether it's part of your values or not, it's just a helpful tool inside Amazon and outside of Amazon. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that you brought up, Dave, is that it really helps reload the cache. That to me implies that tenants are evolving. They're not set at one time and forget it. And I know that at Amazon, when I saw tenants in a document, it was usually accompanied with a phrase, unless you know better ones. When you use tenants in your documents or in your teams, was it typically you went through the exercise to set those and then those lived unchanged for a long period of time? Or did you see evolution? I think you want them to be durable. So they should change over time, right? You don't want to shut down, oh, this is the tenant, so we're going to do something stupid. You want them to evolve, but evolution is slow. You believe if you did a good job at the beginning that you've got some durable tenants and yes, they should evolve, but they should not revolve. <laughs> like they should be evolutionary changes, not revolutionary changes for the most part. If you're revolutionarily changing them all the time, then you don't have a strategy. Or that you just didn't put in the effort going into the tennis in the first place, right? 
Can you tell us about a time when having defined tenets made moving forward with the decision easier? You know, one of the tenets I came up with in a different program was around complexity. And I was actually just talking about to one of my teammates today, you know, complexity is the bane of our existence. And the tenet I wrote was we strive to get rid of complexity, but if we have to have it because some things are complex, we'd rather have Amazon take on the complexity first. And if not Amazon, then the sellers. If not the sellers, then we lastly would want to have the customers take on complexity. And so that was a way to, as we're making decisions, you know, rank where we want to put the burden of complexity. So the customers, you know, just as Amazon does and everything, you want to simplify the customer's life as much as possible. You know, the sellers are also customers, but they have a little more wherewithal to handle these things. And they have benefits because they're making money. So they're a little less of customers. And then in Amazon, we want to take as much of that as possible because we're much more sophisticated than either the sellers or the customers. And so whatever we could do at scale, you know, if we solved a problem once, we solved it for millions of seller, sellers and hundreds of millions of customers. So that was a tenet that, that I really liked and, and allowed us to give us feedback on the direction we were going. I love that, Dave. I think a lot of companies probably unintentionally would fall into the reverse, right? Is look after the company's benefit in bottom line first, and then your partners, and then hopefully your customers are also happy. You talked a little bit about how tenants should be durable and that the idea is that they are helpful for the subsequent decisions, subsequent meetings. How would you recommend a team or an individual go about creating a set of tenants for the first time? Yeah, it's really hard because most tenants are bad. Our customer is important. is always tenant one, right? And, and that doesn't really tell you anything. But one of my friends, Chris Rupp, put it the best I ever heard was that tenants should help you make decisions. And so you should think about what decisions you might have to make. You know, what are the hard decisions you're looking at now and in the future? And, you know, and make those decisions as a group today or make directionally those decisions and then those inform the future. And so if you can, you can capture those decisions you're making in a durable fashion in tenants, that helps you and the people come after you make those decisions. The way Amazon uses tenants, primarily in business documents, is conditional on business documents being part of a company's operating culture. And not every company is going to use that. So as you speak to these tenants ranking or trade-offs within Flex or other organizations, have you found other ways to help disseminate these values or these decisions beyond just including them as formal tenants in documents? I mean, often I'm, whether I'm advising other companies or at Flex, often it's important to work backwards for a lack of a better term, the pretty good term, and understand where you're going and who you're trying to satisfy and what value you're adding. And tenants is a good shorthand for doing that. So you kind of step back and say, like, what are we trying to do? We get in the weeds often. And I'm an operator at heart. And most of the people I hire are operators at heart. So we want to solve problems. And we're so often solving problems locally. And so it's super important to, you know, even once a quarter, step back and say, where are we trying to go? You know, what are we trying to do? And like, if we don't know what that is, we're not going to make good decisions. And so if we can be very crisp on what value we're providing, what direction we're going, that will help us from just running from customer to customer and having some unified strategy. Dave, I want to go back to another leadership principle you mentioned at the start of our interview here, which is all right a lot. And for listeners, the Amazon are right a lot principles defined as leaders are right a lot. They have strong judgment and good instincts. They seek diverse perspectives and work to disconfirm their beliefs. Now, I imagine a lot of these programs and businesses that you ran, you were the first mover and there wasn't a path charted ahead of you. 
Can you share how you saw the R write a lot principle at work in the teams and businesses that you ran at Amazon? It actually comes down to people. All of these things come down to people. My, actually, my tenant one is it's always who, not what. Like we need to have high judgment individuals who are right a lot uh, making decisions. And that was something that was very important at Amazon. And it's important at Flex and everywhere else. You know, as I'm advising people, the first thing I say is like, you need tenants. Like, what are you trying to do? You need tenants. But you know, even more important is you need good people to implement those tenants. Or even better, you need great people to come up with those tenants. Right. And my job gets much easier if I bring great people who are right along into my team. I, you know, I hired a guy out of Amazon who uh, I'd worked with before. And it, it's funny, I, I say everything he says is that what I'm thinking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's good and bad. Because I think he's right a lot, but others may think he's wrong. Um, one of the interesting pieces, our right a lot was one of the early principles, but they, we actually modified it to include a sentence about diverse perspectives. And I was in that meeting, it was at a debrief from the Grace Hopper celebration, which is the celebration of women in technology. And you know, one of the outcomes, one of the action items from that meeting is we should have a leadership principle that talks about diversity. And uh, someone actually from my team uh, wrote the original draft of the leadership principles and that, that was reviewed by the S team. And it ended up, well, we don't want a standalone leadership principle around diversity, but we want to include that in other leadership principles. And so that's how this came in. It's super important to have diverse perspectives because I often feel like I know exactly what we need to do and I, I get I get in a rut and I'm just driving, driving, driving towards that thing. And sometimes I'm wrong. I'm, you know, I, I feel like I'm right a lot, but sometimes I'm not right a lot or sometimes I'm not right in this particular case. And so it is important, again, to step back and like try to disprove your beliefs. And uh, one of my mechanisms, we call it the Costanza principle, the Costanza method. Uh, there was a Seinfeld episode, and one day George Costanza got up and said, today I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what I do every day. And so he ordered a chicken salad instead of tuna salad at lunch, and uh, he walked up to a woman in the diner and said, I'm 30 years old, I live with my parents, and I have no job, would you go out with me? And she said yes. And so he, he was doing the opposite of what he was going to do, uh, or what he his intuition said, and everything worked out great. And so I advise or mentor folks. And often it got to this level and I, you know, I'm kind of hitting a ceiling and what should I do? And kind of what got you here won't get you there. You know, the brand that got you here, you need a new brand. But uh, I said, you know, do the opposite of what you think is the right thing to do. <laughs> and it makes you think about, am I doing the right thing? In the end, you do it for a couple of days, but it, it can be informative. And so it is important to like listen to other people. It is important to say, what if we did it another way? And so I, I love that. Our write a lot now includes seeking diverse perspectives. I love your exercise of the Costanza principle, thinking through well, what if I did the opposite of what I would normally do to test your judgment there. Are there other steps that you found really help pressure test that judgment and make sure that you're not complacent or you're not doing what's easier, you know, follows the status quo in what seems like the right answer, but making sure that it's actually the best answer going forward? I tried to not make decisions in some ways. I, I try to push my team to make decisions and because they are deep, they are closer to the metal, as they say, they're deeper in the, you know, they're diving deeper than I am. And, you know, my job is to hire great people and allow them to make great decisions. You know, one of the things that I sometimes do is call it the old SVP trick, which is if you ask the team to do something once and they don't do it, 
uh, and you ask them to come up with a solution the second time and they don't, then you come up with a solution. And it should be the stupidest solution you can think of uh, because they say, okay, I asked you guys to come up with a solution. You didn't. And so now I'm as the SVP or the CTO, I'm going to come up with a solution. And I challenge you to come up with a better one. But if you can't come up with a better one, you better execute the one I come up with. And uh, I saw this bosses and, and skip bosses at Amazon sometimes did this. And I was like, man, that's just a dumb idea. And I realized that, and you know, maybe this was purposeful or not, but this is how I've encapsulated it. They came up with the default idea and say, unless you know better, right? You can't not do anything. So in the case that you haven't come up with a solution, I'm going to come up with a solution for you and you're not going to like that. And so that trains the team to say, hey, we better come up with a solution or Dave's going to come up with a dumb solution for us. I love that for two different reasons. One is it's a challenge to your team, right? They know if you're going to propose a dumb solution that, that they should have come up with something better. But also it gives them the opportunity to react to another solution. Some people get a little bit of a deer in the headlight reaction when it's too much white space and it's think of a solution without having any other solutions to consider. And so it also gives that alternative option for them to think through a different perspective. You mentioned considering diverse perspectives and not necessarily being the one to make the decision, but relying on your team to make the decision. What advice would you have for a one or two person team in a startup just getting by and they don't have much of a team to rely on? How can maybe somebody that's a, a solo entrepreneur or in a very small, cohesive team still get diverse perspective? Yeah. I mean, first of all, what I understand of the VC community is they don't want to fund anybody who doesn't have a co-founder. So, you know, and this is probably why, you know, you, you need to have uh, multiple people and you know, often it's two and maybe three is about the, the limit. Um, you know, I like to go talk to people and I, you know, share ideas and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. And before I joined Flex, I had met Carl and I went and told all my friends, this is the idea and this is what they're doing. And everybody said, oh my God, that's a great idea. And that, that gave me uh, affirmation that I was making a good decision to join Flex. Um, but sometimes they'll say, oh no, why would you do that? And so I've got a, a huge network of friends and I, I like to talk a lot. I like to talk about me, I'm talking about what we're doing. And so... Um, that's a great opportunity. You have close advisors or counselors who are often friends who can help you think through things. Talking a little bit more about your your current role in Flex as CTO, the technology and um, a lot of the different infrastructure that is going into building these services for different customers. I imagine that there's a lot of decisions and trade-offs that you make, especially in a fulfillment and warehouse environment, and, and even more so maybe with COVID and everything that the economy has experienced over the last several months. What other practices do you as a leader use to help your team exercise strong judgment when faced with these unprecedented circumstances and decisions? The good news is we've been in survival mode for the last couple of years, as all startups are, right? You're, you, know, you have to get customers faster than you burn cash. And that's super fun because you, know, you have to do like, um, I think back to the Sherlock Holmes quote, which is once you've eliminated the impossible, all that's left, however improbable, is the answer. And so I, you know, I start with things we can all agree on. Like we can't not sign this deal. We can't not sign the, you know, uh, deliver for this customer. We can't not all of these things. We, and I like to say we can't not instead of we have to, because it brings it into stark contrast that you know if we don't do this, we are going to fail. And so you know once you lay out all the things that you can't not do, oftentimes the answer comes into stark perspective uh, very quickly. 
And so that's how I look at things. And we are a scrappy team. We are building things for customers. And we are just starting to get to the point where we can step back and say, like, what is the long term or you know, even the medium term? We know what the long term is and we know what we have to do today. And then the magic is what's the one, two, three years out vision. And I've got a, a guy who leads product who's great at that, much better than I am. And so, you know, I, we go for walks on Saturday mornings and, and, you know, we talk through what we're doing and I give him guidance in terms of tenants and philosophies and so on. But I trust him to come up with the product vision and the roadmap, but sort of give him guardrails of you, know, you can't not do this and you can't not do that. As long as you live to those tenants or those guardrails or those mechanisms, whatever term you want to use, you can go do whatever you want. It just turns out that whatever you want is only a few things once you put the right tenants in place. Really guide and help refine and narrow down that thinking. Dave, with the good judgment and strong instincts that we talk a lot about with this, again, this leadership principle of our right a lot, you know, I, I think about the art versus science continuum. And, and those phrases seem to be a little bit more on, I, I think to many people, more on the subjective or kind of art side. You know, you either have it or you don't. Have you found any good ways that somebody can benchmark whether they or their team is ex- actually exercising high judgment or, or whether they need to improve their judgment ability? <laughs> That's a good question um, because it is, you know, as I said, we, we talked about high judgment individuals a lot, uh, especially when people use poor judgment. It is, you know, talking to your council of advisors, whoever that might be, bouncing things off of them, people you respect. The problem is you you run the risk of running into an echo chamber if you're only talking to people you respect. Um, And, you know, it's another thing that, like, peer feedback. Um, Everybody always wants to choose the people they like for peer feedback providers. And I always tried to put at least one or two people who I knew didn't like me as a peer feedback provider, right? We didn't see eye to eye so that that brought in some good critical feedback for me. And then getting critical feedback is super important. You can decide whether to, to action it or not. But if you don't get that critical feedback... Um, you're never going to improve. And so I guess I would say, again, this is in the leadership principle, which I didn't think of, you know, seeking diverse perspectives or asking people who, you know, don't often agree with you is a good way to pressure test your judgment. And then also having some some tenants and, and looking at smart people. Like, I think the number one thing everyone can do is read everything that Jeff Bezos has ever written or all the interviews he's done. You know, I find that those, there's nuggets in every single one of those. And I assume Bill Gates and Elon Musk and others, again, other in a different set of perspective. One question I was asked is, who you want to have dinner with? And my, you know, my first thought was Bill Gates. And then my second thought was Stacey Abrams, right? She's like changed the world, you know, almost single-handedly by changing the Senate. And she's not an old white guy, right? And it's great to see, you know, she has risen. And so like finding people who are not like you, I'm much, much closer to Jeff Bezos than I am to Stacey Abrams. And so a growth area for me is to go find people who are not like me to learn from. So many nuggets that are really helpful in there, Dave. And and this might seem second nature to you. You've been practicing this for a long time. But a few things I pulled out of your comments there is one, you need to have that devil's advocate. You need to have that voice that's going to disagree with you. And I think that especially in a team, that helps avoid groupthink and social cohesion, which is really easy to creep in. So that's super helpful. You also talked about how much critical feedback are you getting? And I like that idea because you know hopefully everybody and every business leader is asking for feedback. And if your feedback is overwhelmingly positive all the time, to your point, 
you know, you're probably not getting the right feedback from the right people. And then finally, you talked about who people can benchmark against. And I love your idea of looking at what Jeff Bezos has, has written, but also your perspective on not just looking at people that are like you, but people that are changing the world that are also seem to be unlike you or come from a different background because they can add a different perspective. So a lot of really good tips. As we wrap up here, any other advice that you would give listeners wanting to better develop their write-a-lot ability? You know, I, I think the Costanza method, which is what's the exact opposite of what I do. And is that a good idea or a bad idea? Spending time with people you don't agree with often or sometimes when you're at loggerheads, I step back and say, you know, let's talk about the things we do agree on. Right? We do need to grow the business. We do need to hire great people and like list the litany of those things. And then we can say, like, what are the specific things we don't agree on? And once you've, you've listed all the things you agree on, you often end up not disagreeing on anything. I've got a really good friend. She and I sometimes end up having uh, knockdown drag outs about things. And it turns out we were in violent agreement <laughs> from the start and I wasn't listening or she wasn't listening or we weren't communicating well together. And so that's a great method to like step back and say like, do we really disagree? Like let's lift the points of agreement and then like, let's be very specific on the places we don't agree. And then let's talk about that. Dave, thanks again for coming on the show with us. This has been super insightful and it's been great to hear all this experience from your background, what you've done at Amazon, what you're doing now at Flex. Where can listeners go to learn more about what you're up to and, and the work that you're doing now? Yeah, I spend a ton of time on LinkedIn. Uh, I try to write you know, a post, you know, a couple posts every week, although sometimes I fail on that. You, you can find me there. You can message me. I mostly reply to all the messages uh, aside from sort of people wanting to sell me something. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dave, for coming on the show. All right. Take care.